0: welcome back to the known experience we are entering into part two of the 2023 recap i'm john and this is sean with us coming from north carolina i'm here in texas i I just started watching the bear a couple nights ago
1: and have you watched it yes (laughs) (laughs) it's it gave me heartburn if you're is, in the industry, you know, there there are some things with it that are, you know, outlandish. But yeah, if you've ever been around a kitchen and the dysfunction, yeah, yeah, it's intense.
0: Yeah, I thought it was going to be less dark and stressful oh, no, dark. than it is. But, oh. but no, it's made your kitchen not be like that. And um, oh, man, we're like, I,
1: we're it's the calmest, coolest kitchen I've ever been around. It's kudos. Yeah. So,
0: heard. All right. Well, we're gonna jump in. We're gonna revisit the other half of our guests from our first year of the known experience (laughs) podcast. And I I wanna jump in with Dr. Stephen Garber. He is an author, a speaker, a consultant, the Washington Institute for Faith, Vocation, and Culture. And there was just one quote from his podcast that really stood out to me. And I know, Sean, you like this one because you're all about preparation. And this is the quote from Iris Murdoch. He said, at crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. Yeah. Uh, what does that What does that speak to you, Sean?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a, It's. It. I found myself in the decision in the moments of choice. Really, you're just looking for an affirmation that nudges you over the line. At least I do. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I have prepared. I've thought through it. I've analyzed it. I've usually gone through the emotions, mm-hmm. and then you know, like you think you're just making the decision then, but you're really not. But I had had not thought about it in that way until he said it. And it was a, it was a very aha moment, Mm -hmm. no doubt about it, but yeah, I think we give far too much weight to the moment of decision and not nearly enough to the preparation. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Or,
0: you know, I mean, there's moments of decision that, you know, we're coming up, right. You know, I mean, you're graduating college, you know, I I need to be, making a decision on what i'm going to do next or end of a job or whatever but there's those moments of decision that come upon you that you are not you you do not know what's going to happen and you're not prepared for it per se you haven't thought through it and the character you've built the things you've invested your time in you, all of that will make your decision for you in that Correct. moment. Right. I've heard right. athletes talk about this a lot. You know, athletes just emphasizes the preparation, it's the preparation, it's the preparation. And then you step in, you know, I'm a big UFC fan. You step into the ring and if you haven't prepared well, like you don't know what to do and you're just reacting instead of responding with things, you know, we talk about that Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I've heard that quote, thrown out there like a thousand times but i've never heard anyone say this well what if you have a plan for getting punched in the face because good ufc fighters they have a plan if what happens if i get taken down and and i'm on my back they have a plan for that yeah i would say in the everyday world we don't often enough have a fail plan for what if things don't work out the way they had hoped they would
1: yeah is is quite astonishing I, I feel like i always have three different lives four different lives planned out in my head mm-hmm. based based on if something happens yeah which may not be healthy but i that's why i've I've never been that fearful with the decision because i always have a contingency yeah you know and it's not it's not i i don't it's never built on Surpassing expectation—it's always if the wheels fall off, (laughs) and maybe maybe that's what I have to work on. I'm always like, man, something's going to go horribly wrong. Am I ready for it?
0: Yeah, some people are on the other side of like, what am I going to do when everything goes right, and I've got to scale this or whatever. Right? Like, I I think visionary people often think that way, and that's great. I don't have that either.
1: I'm a weird hybrid of the two, and it's it's interesting. But I feel like I always do have a plan to get punched in the face. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know well man. on that note let's move on to
0: uh, brian carpenter brian is the founder of the refuge foundation a yeah. great retreat uh experience that's in they're in montana and wyoming i think right
1: yeah but i think they're just they expanded their location in montana i think they're just doing the montana in the future but
0: but something that really stood out to me from his conversation is this quote awareness Is not a giver of solace. It is a disturber and an awakener, and that was like a gut punch. Like,
1: oh wow. Well, think about that too, right? I mean, I'm wearing like when when you are aware of the multifaceted parts of who you are and what make it like it that it is a disturber, right? Never mind the external world, but when you are aware of who you are,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) oof. That's why it's, when someone points out one of your flaws, like our reaction is often to be defensive because it's like, oh, they see, they know that. I thought correct. I was hiding that. I thought I was, right. And it hurts. Right. But, you know, our whole our whole show is about the known experience. <laughs> it's about knowing yourself and being known, being willing to be known, and that's a that's a scary thing for a lot of people because it's not uh, comforting sometimes. You know, I mean, going back to ignorance is bliss, right? Like I think about, I think about my work in recovery and addiction and a, a analogy or a metaphor we'd use sometimes is Jonah in the belly of the whale. Because Jonah, you know, when he started out on the boat, right. And he's sleeping in the midst of the storm, like in the hull of the ship and, and the other people on the boat are freaking out because of this storm and all of this chaos that's the result of him like he's the cause of it but he's the least disturbed by it right and i think that can be our life sometimes if we're blissfully ignorant the other people around us are still paying the consequences of our flaws and our our failures and our problems and it's only when we get up and take responsibility for them that's when it was kind of resolved right Awareness is not going to be fun when you first open yourself up to it, but it's the only way out, right? Like it's it's yeah. kind of like if you can't go into a doctor and ignore or deny all your symptoms and expect that doctor to help you get better.
1: What are you talking about? That's the American way, buddy. That's <laughs> That's how we that, do. That was
0: my that was my dad. <laughs> But I do think, especially with men, there is an era, and a lot of us are holdovers from that era. That was like, no, suck it up, duct tape yeah. it, don't, don't, don't complain about it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no
0: doubt. Well, from that, let's go to Stephen Murray. Stephen is my my personal friend. That's the director of Forerunner Mentoring, and uh, their motto is relationships change lives. Sean, what do you remember about talking to Stephen and about they 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 provide a mentor for young men who don't have a positive male figure in their home?
1: I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I feel super privileged, or it's hard to even comprehend growing up as a young boy without access to that. Mm-hmm. Right? I I had so many men in my life that even if my father wasn't there there was multiple layers of men involved in my life that had a positive effect. And so, you know, that's what kept running through my mind with him is the incredible, incredibly difficult work that it is in dealing with just all that entails to not have a father figure, but then just how important it is to, you know, the stats, I think you have some stats around it, but you know, I think we, we so often, there's just so many foundational parts of being a human that we address, but we don't really give the full weight to. And that's one of them, right? Yeah. He's uh, not having that person in your life is just incredibly crippling. It's gotta be right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 again, I feel like I'm an aware person, but I, I have a hard time putting myself in that place and really trying to understand mm-hmm. and empathize what it would be like. So.
0: And not even just on a conscious level, on a subconscious level, what it means to them that they're not even aware of because they've told themselves, I don't need that because they never had it. right? Right. But I think one of the stats is that, you know, if a kid has at least one positive male figure in their life for one hour a week, right, they're 80% less likely to go to jail. One hour a week. (laughs) A lot of kids don't even get their dad for one hour a week, right? If their dad's in the home. But you think about these boys growing up with n- not a single male leader figure in their life that they've ever been able to trust or count on. They've all let them down. And right. you come in as a mentor. How many years does it take to, to build that trust for Yeah, them, for them to open up? You may meet them at 14 and you've got them for maybe four years. It may take that much time just for them to even begin to think about trusting you, right? Right. Yeah. Well, the one stat that really hit me that I just want to just give kudos to their program and all that they're doing, 75% of all high school dropouts don't have a male figure in their home. I'm going to say that again. 75% of all high school dropouts don't have a male figure in their home. And we said, Stephen, how many kids in your program are dropping out of high school? And he said, zero.
1: Yeah, that was so awesome.
0: That's, that's amazing. Stephen talks about like going upstream from the problem. And if you want to provide help and invest in something that's working upstream from the problems that we see in society today, check out Forerunner Mentoring. They're in Lake Highlands here in Dallas. Check them out. Would love for you to invest in them. That would mean a lot to me. Yeah. Man, this brings us to one of our really fun podcasts that we did with Matthew Berry Matthew is the director of fantasy sports for NBC. Previous to that, he was with ESPN for 15 years. He's the author of the book, My Fantasy Life. And he's a friend of mine from high school. And Sean, you're kind of like, you were in that, but what's that like to hear us? We were, we were going back a
1: lot, a lot of old high school stories. You yeah, like- you were. <laughs> you were. I don't want to talk about fantasy. My, my team was a disaster this year with injuries and whatnot. It was a, yeah. not, not a good year.
0: Yeah, did you draft a lot of
1: patriots? No, I didn't draft one. <laughs> I'm not stupid. Not even Zeke. Not even Zeke. No. Hmm. Zeke's best days are behind him. No, I think that the the George Carlin story was my biggest takeaway. You know, besides yeah. you guys reminiscing, it was what a what a cool, you know, you can think what you do about George Carlin and who who he was, but his approach to, you know, creating time for, you know, just understanding the importance of creating fans for life by giving them 30 seconds of your time is just, it's so applicable to our, to the everyday man too. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you haven't listened to the podcast, Matthew, when he first went to Hollywood, his first job was working on the George Carlin show. And if you're under 50, George Carlin is a comedian who's no longer with us, but he was very outrageous. He was one of the first kind of shock comedians
1: and he was massive in the 70s and 80s right like yeah
0: massive he was as big as any comedian could possibly be so much so that he got his own tv show but matthew was his like production assistant entry-level job picked up his dry cleaning did all the dirty work for him and he had some friends visiting the set of the show and he just said hey george is there any way i could get all my work done so i could leave right after the show i have friends visiting and george said sure So after the show, Matthew was showing his friends around the set and George came up and said, hey, Matthew, are these your friends? And Matthew was like, oh, my gosh, yes. And George just gushed about how great Matthew was and how they couldn't do the show without him. And he brought them autographed pictures. And afterwards, Matthew said, George, thank you so much. Like, why did you do that? And George said, Matthew, I had three minutes with those people and that is how they will see me and perceive me the rest of my life the rest of their life
1: and talk about me to everyone about yeah yeah
0: and in three minutes you can either blow somebody off or you can give them a memory and i'd much rather do that and you know sean and i took away from that like how many times do we just we may not be famous and people looking up to us but how many times do we have a moment that we could just invest five more minutes to make somebody's day Right, by being kind or just doing something to help them or something they're not expecting. Right.
1: No, again, it's totally applicable to business. Yeah. You know, I think that yeah. was. It's well, business and everything, but especially the that.
0: hospitality industry that you're in. There's a great yeah. hospitality book called Unreasonable that's about that very thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it's 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 so much fun too, right? I think that's mm-hmm. the best part about my industry is when you get a surprise people yeah with small things and they're just like wow yeah and and i and i don't do that i don't do that with like okay this is going to be a i'm going to get a return customer and yeah for for me it's it's a it's more about life right it's about people feeling seen and you don't know the ripple effect of that right like if maybe they feel very invisible in their life and for the moment you kind of make them feel visible that's what I hope for all those circumstances is is maybe it'll breathe life into them. That's great. Yeah.
0: The one story that Matthew didn't tell that I want to tell real quick, and he's just told it so many times. I think he felt like everybody's heard it, but everybody has not heard it. And again, like Matthew and I were in high school together. Matthew was this kid that was really smart. He was from a family, grew up in the Northeast. He's in this small Texas town now. And he was like the number one tennis player on our tennis team but not like super popular. He was, you know, he, he and I were both popular adjacent. We were accepted by the popular crowd, but everyone knew we weren't one of them. And so we went from that to struggling in Hollywood as a writer to getting this gig and being like the guru of fantasy sports for the world, really. And he got a request from a friend to come into New York City and help out with a fantasy football draft. And he said to his friend, as a friend in the industry he said i just have to politely decline i get these things all the time and uh, i'd love to do it but i just i gotta kind of guard my time and the friend goes would it make a difference if this was for jay-z <laughs> <laughs> and matthew goes yeah yeah when, yeah, yeah, yeah. when, when should i be there <laughs> so he shows up at this club in the middle of an afternoon in new york city and he gets escorted up and jay-z is waiting for him that He and his hip-hop moguls have rented out this entire club for their fantasy football draft. He gets introduced to Jay-Z. He walks in with Jay-Z, and there's all these guys. Russell Simmons, all these guys are in this room that are like the moguls of hip-hop. And Jay-Z walks in with Matthew Berry, and they go, Oh, no. Oh, no. hove! You can't bring Michael Jordan to a pickup game. And they're saying that like Matthew Barry is the Michael Jordan to them. And so so for Matthew, I mean, Chris Pratt, all these people text Matthew. He was in an Avengers movie. They text him because he's their Michael Jordan for fantasy sports. And that just still today like blows my mind. But I love it. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. And I love how he carries it. He is humble. And if you ever look at him on a, a social media, he's like, man, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe this is my life. It still still blows him away. So yeah, man, let's get into one of our more controversial episodes. We've not had a lot of them. But Dr. Jake Hyde, who would define himself possibly as a brain chiropractor. He, he said he adjusts people's brains. What this is one of your old friends from from West Palm days. Tell me about Doctor Jake and and what what's you
1: remember from that episode. You know I've known yeah I have known Jake for a long time. But I think Jake was one of the guys that introduced me to let's stop treating the symptoms in your body and let's work on how your mind is connected to your body and whether you agree or or don't that's what i love about jake and even his conversations he's he he is a blend of the psych psychology anatomy physiology he kind of blends all this into a soup that a lot of traditional medical doctors probably wouldn't agree with yeah he he's he's an interesting interesting guy to to talk to you but i i i think I, my history has blended with the episode so what what part stuck out to you in that conversation or what parts i know i know you had a few <laughs> i mean there are a few things that i was a little skeptical of
0: i think he puts everything in the mental basket you know right. like the you know like all of matter diseases caused by fatigue i think was one of his quotes which takes any sort of genetic elements out of it, right? But I will say he really reaffirmed something that I've come to believe more and more, and that is how much our thoughts produce chemicals or responses by our body that affect our health, right? I think we all know, like, when you're stressed, you feel it in your stomach, you feel it in your gut, it affects your digestive system, it affects your sleep, you feel fatigue. I just went through an incredibly intense time of stress, and the amount of fatigue I felt over the mental stress was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so he reminded me how much that there's a lot of our thoughts we can choose. There's a lot of our focus that we can choose and that greatly affects our bodies. And that's, yeah. that's what I took the most away from it. Yep. Yeah. He talked about psychosomatic, which a lot of people will translate as well it's just all in your head if you have a psychosomatic health problem but his question was fair he said what's not in your head like this conversation is in your head everything at some point if it's unless it's completely subconscious goes through your head and that impacts things in your body and in your life
1: so. yeah and and to maybe to his point science still knows very little about how the brain operates mm-hmm so I, you know, I think maybe he's, he's come to his own conclusions that may be founded on data or lack thereof. But, you know, I think he does have a point like there's, there's a lot we don't understand about how, how much our brain controls or, or affects our body. So, yep. and that, that quote we shared in a previous episode,
0: the Carl Jung quote of, you know, until your subconscious becomes conscious. It will direct your life and you'll call it fate. I tie that into the Tiger Woods story of people subconsciously self-sabotaging when they have unresolved issues in their life. If, if you don't listen to that episode for anything else, listen to it for the Tiger Woods story, because that was like, okay, that feels very true to me. So curious about that. Let's move on to Ethan Stonebrook. This was one of my favorites. Great guy, professor, associate professor at Wake Forest School of Medicine. He he teaches doctors and nurses how to live more holistically with their patients, how to accompany their patients patients in the journey. What what do you remember from that time with Ethan?
1: Yeah, just what an incredible you know. uh, Still, the hope for that developing in the medical world is so so critical just how much, you know, we forget that doctors are human. Maybe they forget it, you know, they compartmentalize. So his his work and kind of creating a more empathetic, again, we say it's so much, but holistic way of operating for them mm-hmm. is, is so important. Because if we don't, I think it, again, just like Jake Hyde, we kind of leave out a big piece of, the puzzle yeah Ethan Ethan I would love to do a a part two with him or like a round table with other medical professionals
0: you know historically doctors psychologists psychiatrists have been taught nurses to detach yourself from the person as a human you know and more just treat the medical symptoms that it's bad you lose sight of things you lose your ability
1: to activity yeah
0: objectively And his studies and his work is the opposite of that. And it's how can you enter into their journey as a human, as a person? And one one of the things he talked about, he said, the most privileged place for me is to be together with another person in their joy and their suffering. I would greatly appreciate having doctors that related
1: to me in that way. Well, that's not easy, right? So I think it's, going back to the Brian quote, that awareness that that would take from doctors would be they couldn't see as many people. Yeah. If they truly entered in, because there's a cost to that, right. It's, it's a benefit to the, to us, but there's a cost for them person after person to enter into their life in a way that is more caring. And you know, he talked about a sack full of stones that they carry. Yep. That's, that's, that's no joke. So
0: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's another thing that he really teaches them is how to manage what he would call collateral trauma that you carry, you pick up as a result of going through these things with people. How do you carry that? How do you let it go? How do you release it? The one quote that I really loved from his conversation was from Dr. Warren Kinghorn. Ethan quoted him and he says, we're not machines to be fixed, but wayfarers to be attended to. We're not machines to be fixed, but wayfarers to be attended to. And I would say outside of the medical world, even in the faith world, in the church world, I I think people are very much communicated with as, hey, you're this broken machine that the whole rest of your life, God's going to be helping you fix. And all you're ever worried about or concerned about is what needs to be fixed next. You know, what problems else do I have instead of like, accompanying and attending to that person and even emphasizing you uh, I think it was Brenna Manning would say you know you are loved as you are not as you should be you know it's not like you know you're loved in spite of who you are you are loved as you are you are are fully accepted and loved and dare I say perfect as you are not that you can't grow and improve right how do you do with that one, Sean? How do you do with being content as you are? I'm I'm not good at that. <laughs> I didn't just ask that question like
1: <laughs> without yeah.
0: some sort of intuition.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm not I am not that guy. I, I I don't know. I think one of the parts of my continued growing is to understand that which you can control or change that that which you shouldn't the serenity prayer right to
0: change what i can to accept when i cannot and the wisdom to know the difference right yeah
1: but then where how to exist peacefully and joyfully in the midst of that yeah it's not easy man. it's not easy
0: (laughs) yeah and it's, it's not easy for anybody but i think it's so crucial especially for parents i'm not a parent but um, because it's all transferred, right? Like, um, other people around us, if we don't love and accept ourselves, we cannot make other people feel loved and accepted. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to project on them. Uh, another favorite quote of mine is whatever you think you have to do to earn God's love, you will require other people to do in order to earn your love. Mm. And I think until we learn to to love and accept ourselves today as I am, not perfect, not there yet, uh, and, and, and aware of my flaws. If I can't learn to love myself in that moment, there's no way I can help other people feel unconditionally loved.
1: Right? I think it's the one of the challenges is to know in the. I keep going back to the awareness part, but in the journey of, of knowing exploring and awareness you question you're like am i do i really love myself if i don't know myself you know if i'm not aware and i think that goes to the nth degree with me right like when you're at when you think through things Mm -hmm. like there's more to know about myself and i'm not you know i have such a problem this is like a therapy session i have such a problem with with the word love i don't on a human level i don't i don't even know if I believe that it exists in its entirety. You know, we've talked about this, but so it's just a, it's a challenge for me, I think. But I think you're right about what you said.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think a good reframing of love is willing the highest good for
1: another person. Yeah. And that's like, that's what the Catholics say, right? Isn't that a, a very Catholic thing? Will the uh, the
0: I don't know. I got that from a mentor of mine years and years and years ago, but I, oh. I did hear something. Actually, I'm reading a book called Wired for Love by harville hendrix i think is his name but he just talks very much about your perspective of love shifting from a feeling or something you can get to a choice that you make to give and that i'm more and more seeing like yeah is, is what it's all about
1: that makes more sense M-
0: may let's land on our last podcast which was actually our first other than the one where we introduced the pod Uh, Dr. Rob Murray, who you spent some time with recently, and he's the author of the book, Fighting for Heart in Leadership. Yeah, Yeah. It's it's by far our most listened to podcast. He's great. But he started off, man, this was our first guest, and he started by sharing the story about his wife asking him if they could talk after a long day. And he said, I knew it was not one of those talks of she's going to just pump me up and affirm me with <laughs> all the great things that I've done. I knew she needed to have a talk. Yeah, And in a sense, she said, you're a great man, and you do a lot of great things for our family. But when I'm with you, I feel lonely. And I thought, wow. I mean, as a husband, could could you relate to that? Sean
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 no totally, I think that's you know, I I maybe to to Rob's credit, I don't really know, but yesterday at dinner I sat down and I was I was like you know, Nat's sitting there, and the kids, and I'm like, "Listen, before New Year's, I want you guys to think about this the next couple of days in Like, what do you, what do you want from yourself this new year? What do you want from this family? And, and what are some things that you wish would be better? Right. Hmm. And, and I said, because one of the things that I don't want and that you see happen in a lot of families is they move through life and seasons change and they they don't really care to be around each other and they don't communicate and they don't ask. And, and that's not what I want for this family. You know, I was, I was not correcting my, it's a Cela, And I was like, you're going to be 13 this year. And a lot of people would say, you're not supposed to like your parents and you're not supposed to enjoy hanging out with them. But I don't think that has to be the reality. I think that's something that we all should challenge. And if we love our families and if our families love us, then you can still enjoy to be around them and ask more of them. And, 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 you know, I said, I want to be, I don't want to be the dad that's tired and grumpy. Like I felt like my dad was a lot like unapproachable. And when I want to say, sorry, if I've done something wrong and I want you guys to hold us to account if we're not treating you well, I said, you know, it's just about our family. And I think that. I'd never really been good at doing that before. And I think Rob, when he talked about kind of being honest with your family as a father, that landed for me, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said about that, but you know, it it was, he
0: he talked about being honest with your kids. I know this really resounded with you in that podcast. He talked about being honest with your kids when you've had a bad day. Yeah. You're not unpacking the whole day to them, but saying, Hey, I've had a rough day. If I'm if I seem distant tonight or impatient, I'm not making excuses for it, but I just want you to know I've had a rough day.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think it's just, you know, going back to, you know, Natalie, his Natalie and my Natalie. Yeah, I mean, you just you just want to Yeah, you're checking a lot of boxes sometimes as a dad mm-hmm. and husband and you're you're kind of forgetting about like the real critical one but it's also just not easy, man. I think we, we you, you try to do it all like you're in a relationship. Now you, you try to, when you're trying to lead and be present and make money and create opportunity and be fun and be available. And it's also a lot, right? I think, you know, there's just, there's a lot to it when you're trying to be firing in all the cylinders. Yeah. So I I do have empathy for dads that shut a lot down because Mm -hmm. it's really self-preservation. The more that I think about dads and maybe my own dad, they're not unavailable because they really want to be. I think they're unavailable because it was more of a survival mechanism and they just weren't talking about it.
0: Yeah. They didn't know how to. Yeah. And they'd never had it modeled when you talked about what you just shared with your family. You know, I think about a leader that I had that was the first time in my life that a leader ever wrote me, at the end of the year, sent me an evaluation, asking me to evaluate him. And he said, okay, how can I be, how can I serve you better as a leader? Is there anything you don't have that you need? Are you able to get responses from me in a timely manner when you need them? And then is there anything else you need from me going forward in the next year? I'd mm. never in my life had a leader ask me those kinds of questions, right? right? And yeah. what could what leadership role is more important than the role of a parent? And so how many of us have had our parents ask us those questions, right? Usually it's we're complaining, our compl- you know, kids complain, our complaints are not reasonable. And, you know, right. some someday you'll understand, right? right. <laughs> it's like, what good does that do me? Right. right. But true. No, I love that you did that with them. And I think, you know, in all the ways that we fall short, if we could just be honest and open and let them know that the, the communication path is open. Right. I told you, I've been listening to Bono's memoir on Spotify. If you haven't done it, it's whatever you think of Bono. I encourage you to listen to it. It's on Spotify premium. It's called surrender. And he was talking about with his, he had five kids and he goes with every one of them when they were moving into their teenage years, I sat them down and said, hey, here's what usually happens. Most kids, the first like 10 to 12 years of their life, they love their parents. We're the best. You love us being around. You want our attention. And then there's a period about another 10 years or so that you can't stand to be around us. We're a pest. You don't like us. And we are antagonistic towards each other. And then you get older and suddenly... You find some wisdom in us, and we're on good terms, and we look forward to spending time together. That's what most young people do. And he goes, I'm all up for us skipping that middle part if you want to skip it. What do you think? And he said, I'm thankful that every one of my kids said I want to skip it, and we never went through it. That's yeah, I forgot about that. That's good. And I don't of, know that it's that easy to do, but I think no. I think if you at least can talk about it instead of it being a kid who feels awkward and feels like their parents don't understand and they don't even know what they feel or how to communicate it and there's just this impasse of no communication and both of you are just annoyed with each other for like a decade. <laughs> somehow there's got to be a better way to navigate that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean and 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 it's really I'm convinced it's entering into things that, ent- that interest them right so mm-hmm. the communication piece but just i think a lot of parents are like oh that's what they like doing yeah
0: yeah uh, Kid, kids these days
1: right okay yeah. well that's what they like yeah. doing right yeah. so or or making fun of it making fun of the language right, right. they
0: use making fun of the way that they dress you know telling them you don't like it they don't instead of being
1: like hey tell me more about this right right yeah, yeah. yeah. and i that's i i think even more so that's becoming evident, you know, it's easier when they're little. Right. But as my daughter's aging. Yeah. I think that you, you, you can, I think you, hopefully, and maybe it's just my hope. I think you can skip that oil and water season. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's because they, you can, I think they'll be able to see you in a much how should I say they, they, teenagers can still see your effort, mm-hmm. right? I, I believe that they so whether or not you love each other all the time, yeah, uh, I'm not talking about that. I think that there, there'll be a, an admiration for the effort that both put into it because they love each other and they're willing the good of the other. And
0: I think he said, I fully accepted my role as a dad of being awkward and annoying and not funny and not cool. And I accepted that without taking it personally and they, they would joke about it and we just kind of accepted it together. And I think that's, uh, I think sometimes parents are very, it just is as insecure as anyone else. And when your kids don't like you or think you're cool, if you take it personally, it's not going to turn out well. Right. You know, So, Man, our first episode, Why the Known Experience, I don't think we need to to go back and rehash all that, but I would just say if you're listening to this for the first time, go back and check it out. We're all about helping primarily men, because we're men, experience self-awareness, personal growth, helping other people know them and being vulnerable in that way, and, and being curious to know each other, spend time together, ask questions. You know, I was having a conversation last night with somebody and they said, what's What's your number one value in a friend? And in the past, it would have been a lot of different things. Could have been trust, could have been faithfulness, could have been a lot of things. But I would say today, it is curiosity. Do they ask questions about my life? Do they ask follow-up questions? Do they just reach out in a random day and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And to me, that's the opposite of self-absorption. That's the opposite of selfishness. And I think that's, if we're all chipping away at something that we need to grow in, it's probably that, right? That's probably our, mm. our center idol is just like the, the tendency to become self-focused and self-absorbed.
1: Yeah. Well, because curiosity, the, the, the framework of curiosity is humility, it's empathy, it's grace. You know, like curiosity isn't, isn't in a silo right it's built of some really positive attributes yeah it speaks a lot
0: of a person right? And, right and and that there's that famous ted lasso episode where he talks about curiosity versus judgment i think it's a walt whitman quote but choose curiosity rather than judgment when someone's different than you and it's it's a whole different journey right hmm. yeah i think it's a good one to end on yeah uh, yeah Hey, thank you for hanging with us this year. Thank you for hanging with us through this episode. Sean and I have talked a lot about what we want to see in the coming year, and I'm excited about it. I think we're going to spend some more time together to just grow in this stuff as people. If you have any suggestions or ideas for a guest, we would love to hear it. Please share it with us. And yeah, Sean, any other words before I wrap things up?
1: No, no, I... Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think John and I talked about it. We're going to be not more mindful, but I think more deliberate in how we kind of frame out and structure the next year. So um, I'm looking forward to that in January. We're going to take some time to really, to really plan rather than just have guests on and kind of randomly hit on things. We want the next year to be Mm -hmm. a little bit more like this is what we're covering. And this is why the person's here and, so it'll be good, but we're definitely going to continue. There's no, there's no quit here. I, I look forward to another year. I mean, if this next year is as eventful as this last. Holy crap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have lots to talk about. Well, this yeah. is, you know, when we first started talking about this, we said, you know, if we do 20 episodes, it'll be a success. Most podcasts don't last three episodes. So yeah. we're, I think this is episode 18 or 18. 19. So yeah. we're close there. And we're definitely going to blow past that. So brother, I love you. And I, I'm grateful to do this with you. I is good for my heart and my life, regardless of what anybody else gets out of it. 100%.
1: Uh, so thank you for showing up uh, again and again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, guys, we're going into the new year. I'm not sure if we'll get this out before the new year hits. It'll be close. But yeah, we, as always, John and I, really hope that you find a sense of awareness of yourself and in, and in that comes curiosity to to know others, to be known as uncomfortable as, as it can can feel and to live a life that is more holistic and open to what that can bring. It's only, uh, positive. And I, I truly believe that as difficult as life has been for John and I through the seasons and this year, and I definitely wouldn't change that. There's not one piece of what we're doing that I would regret. And I, th- I think poor, rich, minority, majority, Republican, Democrat, what, what we're talking about is something that men especially need to practice with intention going into this next year so mm-hmm. thanks for joining us on this selfish journey journey <laughs> of, of of what it is for us to 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 be known and help others in that experience as well so for john uh, this is sean and happy new year to you Take care